This is Mendocino County Public Broadcasting, listener-supported community radio. I'm broadcasting live today from the Carnegie Library Studio in Willits, California, and up next we have the Farm and Garden Show. For the Farm and Garden Show today, we'll be um, playing for you part two of our California Small Farm Conference. Um, this conference took place virtually um, in February, and there's so much great content from from CAF, um, California Alliance for Family Farmers, who put on this conference that um, I felt it needed to spill over into a second month. So today we'll be focusing on new black farmers, and the session we'll be listening to is called Meet the Trailblazers. Between 1910 and 1997, African Americans lost 90% of their farmland. This loss was a primary driver of the overall loss of generational wealth that some fear might never be fully recovered. Against this backdrop, farmer Will Scott Jr. and cowgirl Kitty Brown have not only been able to access land, but have also gone a step further to provide access to the next generation of black farmers and ranchers for their growth and success. But first, um, we'll be listening to the keynote speaker. This is Nikki Silvestri. Maybe it was last year I did a whole show with Nikki Silvestri, who's just incredible. For, she's a founder of Soil and Shadow and former executive director of People's Grocery and Green for All. A healthy agricultural system is based on healthy and equitable re relationships between farmers and customers, soil and people, local communities, and food businesses. Few people can shine a light on the importance of these relationships like Nikki Silvestri, an uplifting and tireless advocate for underrepresented populations in our food systems and for the biodiversity upon which we all depend. I respond because there's a lot that's been going on for me when it comes to the idea of fertile social systems and fertile soil. And just so much of my work has to do with taking lessons from healthy soil and how healthy soil is built and trying to take all of that complexity into building healthy and fertile group dynamics, dynamics on teams, dynamics within organizations, movements, etc. And it gets into a little bit of my personal story, which Paul alluded to, but which I think I'm just going to add a little bit more richness to, because this isn't a part of my story I usually tell. <clears throat> I've been in food systems for the majority of my career, like since I was in college, but I have never been able to keep anything alive, like a house plant, a garden, like nothing, right? And even moving from an obsession with food systems and food insecurity to healthy soil, it felt kind of strange for me because I'm not a hands in the dirt kind of girl. I'm a heels in the grocery store kind of girl and still am. And I tried to fake it for a little while and, you know, get dirty and do all that. And it's just, it ain't me. But I talked to an increasing amount of people like me who started as social justice and just got so entranced with ecology. And I feel like these times that we're in right now really just point to how the intersection is there because it was never separate in the first place. I'm really curious about how we're all going to characterize 2020 in our imaginings, both personal and, and collective. Some of us call 2020 a dumpster fire, you know, some of us we're really feeling into the way it just dramatically accelerated things that were already happening. And some of us felt the hope 
of the fact that all the skeletons were coming out of the closet and what nothing under the surface no mo. And so with the truth comes the possibility for actual reconciliation, right? We all have these different ways of talking about 2020. And so many of us are feeling all of it together. And I feel like we're going to help ourselves or we're going to hurt ourselves with the narratives that we carry about 2020, especially because we're all still so stressed out. I mean, maybe I'm just speaking for myself with a, a four-month-old and a three-year-old and no sleep and having the entirety of my last pregnancy happen in my house and having my entire community miss the birth of my daughter. Like, I'm carrying an intense amount of grief. And we all have these personal stories, right, of the milestones missed. And the thing about the folks that are getting the awards today is those are the folks that have been my beacon of hope those folks and others like them who felt all that personal grief and still showed up for the rest of us. You feel me? We're just like, I know that I'm struggling. I know that I can't see my parents right now. I know that I'm worried about whether they're even going to be alive. I don't know where the end of this is. And there's a wildfire destroying my farm, but I'm going to figure out how to make sure that the people who don't have access to food can get it. What? That's what I'm talking about when it comes to the interconnectedness and the intersection of all of this. It's not different. Me as the high sedity black chick from Baldwin Hills loving healthy soil is woven into the fertility of our food system activism. The same way that the policy person who focuses on BIPOC folks is. The same way that the ecological farmer who looks at seed saving is the same way that the feminist farmer movement builder activist is, right? Like we are all part of the same fabric. And when it comes to resiliency and adaptation, that's also something that I really wanna presence both in this setting and for all of us to take forward with us because we need joy. And that's something that soil teaches me as well is it's this rich, sensual, just like dig your fingers in it, tactile. It provides the opportunity to connect with the sensual nature of our humanness at any time. And fundamentally, that's what we need for, resilient, for resilience and for adaptation. I think it's one of the reasons I got obsessed with soil <laughs> because I could just feel how the history of black folk being able to laugh at anything and being able to sit with just extraordinary dysfunction and discomfort and oppression and grief and pain, we can turn all that into gumbo, into peach cobbler, into laughter at a funeral, into the church songs that got me through the pandemic. It's just, my people have the ability to be alchemists. And fundamentally, that's what folks in agriculture are too. They're alchemists. They transform one thing to another. I mean, soil is the real alchemist, right? But like we co-create with that ultimate alchemist. Reading through the awardees today, I also had this deep sense of science fiction because the original science was agriculture, observation and action, and then seeing what your observations begat. And so I, wanted, I want us to take that narrative with us 
I want us to really feel into how soil, how the lessons from soil, how the folks, y'all got me crying, Lord. I was telling the the folk running this thing, I put on eye makeup for y'all because I wanted to be cute, you know? This is an award show. But I'm a new mom who's forgotten how to put on eye makeup, so it's all, like, bleeding into my face and everything. So I'm tearing up also because, you know, the words and y'all and also because of my eye makeup because it's all interconnected. But when I when it comes to this narrative that we are all striving for, this narrative that can either help us or hurt us, this is what I want y'all to take with you. Alchemy. The transformation of one thing to another. And that all of us here, all of us invested in regenerative agriculture, in biomimetic ways of being and thinking and loving and living, we are alchemists. I want us to take with us that all of the hot mess of 2020 was what all of the the pieces that needed to be destroyed, like the rotten seeds of genocide and slavery and all of the things that are interwoven with the legacy of agriculture in this company or in this in this country that are also the legacies of all the rest of the way the economy moves that needed to come apart at its foundation it needed to come apart and it's coming apart and we are the ones who are going to weave it into something else something that's always needed to be which is this beautiful fertile ecology where we can laugh and we can raise our babies and we can dance and we can be smart together and we can be petty together and we can fight and we can make up and we can do all of the things that healthy communities do. I learned from you. I'm breathing with you. And I am so, so grateful for you. So for all those folks getting the awards today, here in my heart. And I know quite a few of you, like you've personally inspired me to be better. Wow, Nikki Silvestri just blows me out of the water every time I hear her speak. Um, And if you'd like to hear more from Nikki Silvestri, you can find her on YouTube. Um, Her name is spelled N-I-K-K-I, Nikki Silvestri, S-I-L-V-E-S-T-R-I. And this is the California Small Farm Conference, um, and I'm just going to lead that right into one of the amazing workshops that was put together. Um, this workshop is called Trailblazers, and um, Wanda Jackson of Common Vision is the facilitator, mediator for this, so we'll just kick it off with Wanda Jackson, and I hope you enjoy. That's beautiful. Um, I agree. I I would have to say gardening and farming changed my personal life first. I was trained to be a permaculturalist or at least think in the ways of regeneration and permaculture. And maybe my favorite part of permaculture is the social permaculture piece, right? Where we're growing people just like we're growing plants. Um, And you start with yourself first. So I will say eating my own food, growing my own food, changed my life and my body right so when this pandemic started and the folks were upset about the comorbidities right i wasn't so much worried about that because of the way i'd been eating also i watched growing a garden together transform a community 
My big garden is in West Oakland that is supposed to be a food desert. We can no longer claim that. We have a food forest. But it changed the way the children dealt not only with the earth and its creatures, but with each other. And it changed the way the white people and the black people in a neighborhood that's being gentrified um, engaged each other, right? And then it also changed the actual land and space. And all those things are done in a single action. So I'm thrilled now as we begin to talk across culture um, about these issues. I really do believe we can change this planet. Um, I'm going to ask the people who are listening, particularly to this first part of the conversation, to understand something we're going to try to do. We're going to try to have a conversation between black folks, right? And we're going to allow whoever is outside of the circle of panelists to just engage that sort of like the fishbowl activities that we're all listening to. But it can be hard for black folks in any culture of people to talk about their real feelings, their real perspective without concern about how that will be perceived outside of themselves. So I ask our audience and our listeners to uh, listen with an open mind, but also an open heart for it takes courage to speak some of these truths. And then I wanna also ask my fellow panelists to um, be brave and courageous and uh, direct and truthful with the people. <laughs> Is that all good? Yeah, yeah? Oh, so, yes. Um, yes. It's all okay. good, yeah. All right. So one of the first questions that we sort of uh, co-collaborated on is, how do we talk about family farmers and the definition of family farmers to help eliminate the whiteness of the stereotypical definition? So let me say this, too. When I first started doing this work in the East Bay, Everybody kept saying to me, oh, you're the only black one doing it. And every time I would go to a new farm in a new place, I'd find all these black folks in East Bay, Mr. Scott being one of them, doing this work. And then I began to joke, there's a lot of black folks. We just all spread out on different plantations, right? And then I went, oh, wow, we are spread out on different plantations, right? So now here's an opportunity. There's, so there's a lot of us doing this work. But how do we eliminate that notion that this is what white people do or here in the city, this is what white women do while they're on the way to whatever their career is going to be? Um, I'd like to hear from our panelists. Um, if y'all will come off mute so that maybe it can be a, a real flow of a conversation, that would be okay. I'm going to go on mute because my dogs are cracking up in the background. But what do you think? How do we change the image of who is a farmer in America? Well, first, I would like to start out that conversation and just say, you know, especially as black as, as a black man, uh, it, it starts with um, seeing someone who looks like me. OK, farming, you know, uh, as growing up, I didn't see, you know, my father, he formed a little bit when I was a boy. Uh, he had 20 acres of land. He formed a little bit of, of, when I was a boy. And then, uh, for whatever reason, times were tough and there, there, there became a drought and there was no water for the land. And then it became another issue. He was dealing mainly upon irrigation water. There was no well on the land. So I don't know the, the details of that, but I would say that, you know, 
it, it starts with just like, I, I just want to say Mr. Scott, for instance. I had heard about Mr. Scott, and I uh, had never saw him, but I had heard about him years before I'd even met him. But it was first the discussion of hearing about Mr. Scott that I, that even encouraged me. I got hung to meet this man. And, you know, it was the by divine appointment. Uh, you know, I got a chance now. I, I, I met this man, and it's a wonderful thing. But it, it, this is the start, first, of recognizing because as black people are visual people. And so I would just say first, uh, putting people like him, farmers, out front so that we can see. This initiates uh, discussion and topics for conversation. You I know, Chris, Chris, thank you for saying that. Um, and I, too, agree with you about putting us um, in the forefront and bringing, raising the vibration and understanding of where we are. Wanda, thank you for the question because family for black people, there doesn't have to be a bloodline. And that goes back to my own personal understanding because our bloodlines were broken. So when we felt the love of another tribe, that is what brought us together. Um, and doing my own research on my own lineage and my own heritage um, and culture, I gotta say, Chris, meeting Mr. Scott has made me feel more comfortable about what my real family looks like because it is all of you all. And the knowledge that I get from three generations is how I am going to move forward. So, and I'm going to come back to the definition of what three generations looks like in our follow-up questions. So, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Wanda, there's you're on me. Okay. There was beautiful tribe um, at the Freedom Farmers Market where I first met Mr. Scott. We bought together black folks who grew and black folks who wanted the vegetables grown. But there was also community that uh, germinated, right, in those every Saturday uh, things. And, and for urban folks, what a farmer looks like began to take on new definitions. Hi, Mr. Scott, tell them a little bit about that scene. Oh, yeah. I like to say this, too, is that when I got into farming, too, is that uh, black farmers was invisible. You know, it's like Ralph Ellison said, we were invisible, man. We were invisible because if 20 years ago you asked, like you say, one of the if they're in the black farmers, they would have told you no, and they would have been partially true because there wasn't that many farmers, you know, and we're still at a dismal level. But I can tell you this is that I am where I am because of people like you. Wanda, you know, Patricia, you guys, because you're the one that put, you pushed me out here now, so you guys are going to have to <laughs> where I am by myself. It was people like you that, that, that helped me. You, you, you gave me the optimism because I can tell you that there were times when the African-American farmers would have actually disappeared. 
but we held on. It, it took me, me and maybe two or three more people to keep the organization going. But as I went through that, I started to meet people. You know, like I said, I like to go back to is that when we first started, is that I had gentlemen coming from uh, uh, Los Angeles. Uh, uh, he, he had a, 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 a farmer's market at Crenshaw and Slauson. Professor David Roach from, from the Bay Area came down. He was the first one that I interfaced with. Uh, David came down because he had a mission. So that, uh, and I, I, I have to apologize to him for not running uh, out his name now, but I, I, I think of it later. But they're the one that came to me and says, okay, there's a need in our community. So we got together as a farmer, you know, we didn't know too much about, you know, how to interface with, with the, with the public. So we started uh, going uh, to Los Angeles and we started coming to the Bay Area. But I can tell you that it was, uh, uh, it, it was something interesting to me because when I got to the Bay Area is that I've started to meet people. You know, when you have a, a certain spirit and you recognize that same spirit in other people, you feel more comfortable. You feel more assertive about being able to do what you do. And I tell you, you know, is that when I find out too, is that if you know uh, our, our black people that come from the South, we always had a garden. We always grew our stuff because we had to, you know, because that was the way we survived. So when I got to the Bay Area and I found out that they was, the urban people was already doing some of those things, they got interested. That was really uh, uplifting for me because one of the mission of the organization is that we're going to try to, you know, uh, bring, I, I don't want to say farming. I have to use the word agriculture because young people are turned off by that because they read. You say farming and they, they equate it to slavery. So we use, uh, you know, agriculture to kind of, you know, is another uh, way to do it. But uh, yeah. as I got through that, I started meeting a lot of people, too, that had the same spirit. Now, to, and I guess you'll probably cover that later on in some other, other question, but, too, is that how do we go from this, from this point forward? You know, yeah. and I, I, think, I think there's some things that's in place now and that if you're a spiritual person, you realize, too, is that when, when like this pandemic, out of something bad, God makes sure something good come out of it, you Amen. know? And you can see right now is that we're on the threshold now because now all of a sudden is that people know that, uh, especially I speak from the, as a black farmer, that there are black farmers. Even in California, without our small number, people know about us now, you know. And all we yeah. have to do is that put the pieces together is that we got to come together at last as a people because yeah. we were put on there, we were brought to this country for a reason. Other than, yeah. you know, working for free. So we have to complete our mission, get together. We have people in place. And, and, and like you know, the people we have here, to the young people especially, uh, that's what I'm really pleased about. And that's a blessing yeah. to me is that there are some young people that the spirit has come alive and they can take what is in place now and then they take it to, on to the next level. So I'm saying to thank, thank you guys for having me over here and thank you for the question. And hopefully, you know, we can kind of, open this dialogue up so that people can say yep. that, okay, we are a one people, really. Yep. So, uh, Zion, speaking of uh, invisible black farmers and young people, you want to chime in on that? You're on mute, though. Yeah, can you hear me? Can you yes. hear me now? We yeah. can hear you now. All right. All right. Yeah. Well, I am. Um, 
Mr. Scott, you almost made me cry right on Zoom, right in front of all these people. <laughs> yeah. uh, it, it's, it's good to see you, really, because like I said, this is going to be, from this point on, it's going to be a collaborative effort, you know, for, for, from all of us, you know, especially young people. Oh you my know, God. I, said, I live long enough to, I, I try to deny it, but this new technology is Zooming. Yes. Yeah. You might have to you might have to give me a hand clap for being on Zoom. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. Well well, Mr. Scott, I've been hearing, you know, we haven't met in person yet and I just um I so look forward to that to that day and I've been um following your journey and your work for years now and one of my one of my close friends and and mentors um and now neighbor um, is Brandy, uh, Brandy Mack, Sister B. Oh, yes. Um, oh, yes. And yes, she, yes. she speaks of you, um, all the time. And <clears throat> yeah, I feel I'm, I'm also a transplant to California. I moved, uh, I moved to, uh, the Bay Area. It was shortly after actually Trump was elected. And I just knew I needed to find my, like, vocational path. I was working as a meditation for a few years, med meditation teacher. And then I, I just felt like literally I felt that the land was calling me and I needed to get my hands into the dirt or to ground myself after Trump got elected and, um, and also find my people to, to, um, yeah, to do some work that could, that could sort of help direct my passion to be able to connect more to my food and to be able to respond just to the political moment that we're in and responding to the history of these lands and responding um, from a place of wanting to heal, to just heal the legacies of, um, of, you know, of this, of this nation's painful history and doing it together um, at, through the land is the thing that's really, just called called me and um yeah I, I i sort of have stumbled my way into into this work by working at an urban farm for a bunch of years in oakland and we were bringing food that would have gone to waste um from farmers markets down into east oakland so we were doing free district free food distribution for a bunch of years through that space and um and then I got invited to come and move to um, a farm that's in the Sierra foothills, um, which is a three-acre um, organic farm and 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 community that that is really looking to, to to relate to the land and to tend the land in a in a very different way than than the majority of agricultural spaces are currently tending it. So, um, really, sort of wanting to live into the 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 practice of of regenerating the ecosystem as we, as we live in it. And so, yeah, in this process of the past five years, I basically went from knowing nothing about farming <laughs> and growing food. I couldn't keep a house plant alive for mo most of my childhood to now being in a community where I'm taking care of two food forests, um, where we're growing, um, 30 different varieties of vegetables at any given moment. And I'm one of the main people who's taking care of the space. Um, so that learning curve was really short and, I just feel so, um, yeah, just so honored to be able to, to, to come and be invited into a space where, um, yeah, where, you know, I'm surrounded by so many passionate young people. And I think one of the things that we really need is elder counsel more, <laughs> um, to really ground our passion and to ground our visions into something, um, 
uh, re- like uh, practical and also big and visionary at the same time. So I, I'm just really grateful that we're um, that you have all called this circle together and that you've invited me to be a part of it. So I'll just start stop there. So you you sort of bring up a topic. You know, one of the reasons I decided to focus my thing in schools was uh, not to uh, waste undue energy trying to teach grown-ups who may not change, but to teach children going forward that uh, working with the land is to their benefit, their community benefits, to the earth's benefit, right? So the next question is, how do we ensure the knowledge of how to steward the land gets transferred and passed down to the next generation? And I will also say this. I only recently found out that my grandfather, who had been dead for a very long time, had a bountiful backyard garden in Philadelphia, right? And so, I mean, I used to say growing food's part of my heritage because I meant I'm a black person, right? And it's all of us. But then I discovered that it is a thing in my family and it is a gift. And uh, it wasn't passed down in a deliberate way. So I'd be interested to hear from you all what you think we should be doing as a black community to ensure that our children get the importance of it, can heal through it, and all those kind of good things. So uh, I mentioned to you all about um, three generations. Um, In order to really be transparent, when I have these discussions with family, that that there's three parts to the discussion, and that is with three generations of family in the room, if you have the ability to bring them all together, um, it is how do they feel about farming? How do, uh, farming and agriculture. Um, and as it pertains to a family legacy, because Most people, like Mr. Scott said, when you use the word farming, it is automatically antiquated to slavery. Mm -hmm. And that is our past. Mm -hmm. We do not deny it. We should not deny it. But to really understand what family legacy looks like for that individual, it is the grandmamas and the grandpas in the room their children, and then their grandchildren. So, because if you hear what was being done from the grandmas and the grandpas, the children should give honor to that, but at the same time, ask the question, how do we move forward with knowledge? And then the grandchildren are the ones that you give a seed to. If there is a a container um, in the backyard um, or if it is a two by two foot square area say go and plant that seed but you got to have water and you got to have sun and an explanation of what is that seed going to turn into and allow that that baby to want to engage with wonderment about at the end of this cycle, I get to eat because that is the, that is the most important part of what I have seen. 
because a child who can grow a carrot or a beet that doesn't look like anything that's store-bought, um, they're going to bite on it. And they're, go and they're going to taste it. They may not like it, but I can guarantee you 85% of those children will love it because their connection is, I dropped that seed in the ground. Now, when you again, when you go back to those three generations, the question, the next logical question for me and what I've asked is, how do we build wealth behind it? Exactly. We got... Yeah. <laughs> Amen. It's really important exactly. because Amen. our added value and what we do in that soil, it grounds us, but it's going to feed us. But we want to feed our community. OK, exactly. and like you said, Wanda, a dozen eggs for what did you say? Ten dollars. That's crazy. That's crazy. <laughs> right. I, right? I'm, a, I'm a chicken farmer. And that was in 2000. <laughs> Yeah. There you have it. Right. Right. Building the wealth behind our work yeah. is our added value to our community because my goal and has been for many, many years is we grow farmers from a seed who in turn become fabulous chefs, who in turn become entrepreneurs to feed our community. And we're going to get paid for it. Right, right. Real simple. Right. I think you hit it right on the head, uh, Patricia. You're exactly right. You know, I think, too, is that uh, there's a point that uh, I like to make, too, is that uh, being able to get young people in here, because our young people today, you are highly intelligent. You, you, you know a lot. But the thing that you like is uh, history. And I think that we're finding out that especially uh, people of color, we're going back now and, and, and relearning our history. We are circling back because you need to know that because if you don't know where you've been, you know, you, you end up in, back in that same position, you know. But uh, what Correct we're doing that. now is that, and it's like knowledge. I, I look at knowledge this way is that knowledge don't belong to me. It was given to me, and I, I need to give it to someone else because you know, it, 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 why should I die and take what I know with me? You know, I, sh I should be able to impart it to someone here, you know, and to the young people. And you're right, is that I think that we're, 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 we're doing the right thing is the fact is they're trying to go back to the young people, you know, because we have been psychologically uh, brainwashed into eating food because uh, how it look, is it pretty? We eat it. You know, and if it has the blemish on it, we won't do it. But if you know that uh, we grew food, we didn't we didn't use all the chemicals to make things pretty. You know, we 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 planted it, and we had the blessing of God in order for you to make it grow and and give us what we need. And that's what we did. You know, is that we did that. But also getting to the, to the present day now is that I like to share this with you too. Is that it's kind of it's scriptural too. It's from the Bible. Is that the oppressed will take on the values of the oppressor. And you're right, is that when we were emancipated, instead of us going on and putting into practice those things that we were taught, that we live with, that we had put in, we, 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 we walked away from those things. You know, and we started yeah. uh, not only eating food that traditionally we weren't supposed to eat because we're of African descent, we are a plant, uh, we are plant eaters. 
you know, but we, like I said, we eat meat. And I, I confess to you is that, you know, I, I can't eat as much now, but I love pork, you know, because I was coming up. We didn't eat that much beef, but we ate a lot of chicken. We ate a lot of pork. We ate a lot of fish, you know, and I, I still love uh, pork, but my digestive system has changed, so I can't do that. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm relegated to go back to plants, you know. But we also know this, too, is that our people knew exactly what plants to eat in order for us to build up our immune system. You take, like I said, I grow, I grow a lot of collard greens. Collard greens has a tendency to lower your cholesterol, salary and stuff like that. There, you know, it, it deals with uh, some other things. Now, I'm an advocate of black eyed pea. If you say black eyed pea, you'll probably see my neighbor somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but black eyed peas also, it, it builds up your immune system. In the Cancer Society, it, you know, they, they give credit to that. You know, and especially black eyed peas are, are very good for females to help them with that digestive system. You know, so we know that what we uh, should be doing in order to make ourselves uh, healthy. There are some people, too, is that with this pandemic, this virus going around, you notice that some people are, are catching it and some people are not. And most of the right. people who are not, they're, they're those people who are eating the correct food and they're doing right. the things that they should be doing so, so that system can combat it. Mm -hmm. And also, I'm, I'm for this, too, and then I'm going to yield. I believe this, too, is that in this uh, agriculture business, you should consume what is grown in your environment because within your environment, you eat this stuff, it will build up your immune system to protect you for anything that comes into your, your environment. But as it is now is that, you know, we're getting food from everywhere, you know, and that's why I'm an advocate for buying local, you know, buy from the local. And also, too, is that food, uh, vegetables should be eaten at the proper time of its maturity. Stuff we get in the stores are not mature. I mean, we had to, for a shelf life, they had to pick it early and, and, and let it sit there, you know, and, and then turn color, you know, and, and sometimes you have to give yeah. it a little help. But anyway, right. uh, getting back to it. To so, his, Mr. Scott. Yes. That means you don't drink no more of them sodas, right? No, I don't drink sodas anymore, but I tell you, I think I, 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 I guess I shouldn't mention this, but I, I do drink, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I do. I do drink uh, those uh, Arizona teas. Uh, you know, I've been drinking those. Like, uh, <laughs> but now, every now and then, improvement over those Coca Colas. I'm okay with it. But you know, so, sometimes too is that you know you got to you, you got to kind of you know you're in the flesh, so you do fleshy things. You know, sometimes I have to Pepsi because if my stomach is bothering me, sometimes I like to bother my stomach. You know, so I'll I'll eat a Pepsi, okay. <laughs> drink a Pepsi. You know. <laughs> So, excuse me, another question, and please pardon the dog. So, you know, one of my beefs in the Bay Area has been that it's been very difficult for the black urban ag enthusiasts to work well and cooperatively with each other, right? And so I want to ask our group, how do we work together to elevate all of this before we turn to tell the other folks what we'd like them to hear? How do we work together to pull this off? I think that we're, we're having, uh, we're, we're probably putting those things in place because uh, one of we, you know, with, with people like, uh, you remember uh, Professor Gail Myers, you know, yep. and El Elaine Smith, you know, those people have been a tremendous value to me is because as a farm, I should do what I do best as farm. 
but also we need advocates out there, people who can help us uh, get the food to where it's supposed to be, you know, to the people who need it. And Elaine and, 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 and Gail has, has done that, and, and Dr. Roach has done that, you know, and, and, and particularly what you guys are doing up there in Stockton, you know, the, the, uh, the Israel family, too, is that, you know, they, they've done a tremendous amount of stuff, too. It said all we have to do is we got to close the loop. We got to find out about each other. What what is each one of us doing so we could come together? Because that way, one person don't carry the whole load. You know, we can come together as a, as a group, as a people. You know, and, and we can kind of fulfill what of our mission here is. And two of the things that we're supposed to do is one is supposed to serve one another, and we're supposed to love one another. You know, in order to do that, food right. is food is a major catalyst. Because if you notice, you can be in a room with people you don't like. But when you start eating, you got peace, pieces all around. You're getting along, you know. So I think we can use, you know, use food as, as a method in order for us to get together as a people and as a nation. You know, and I think that this pandemic has allowed us to really uh, take some time out and rethink where we ought to be and what we should be doing and also what we haven't done. And I think that, yeah. uh, I don't know, I think that on the program you said that you're going to have a bill going in, in, in Washington now that it probably addressed later. That if you are, yeah, we're getting ready to do that. Okay, we're getting ready to do that right now. Okay, Chris, do you want to add anything in closing? And I see Zion's hand as well. Well, I just, you know, I I agree so much with what Mr. Scott is saying, but you know, we have to learn to work together. You know, uh, unity is almost a bad word these days, I I say sometimes, but it's a word that it's going to take all of us together uh, to to make this happen. You know, we, we can talk about it. Uh, but I mean, collaboration, uh, we, uh, like I said, Patricia said some wonderful things that really got me thinking about the generation. You know, I'm very fortunate, you know, that, uh, I, I sit here and think now I'm, I'm, I'm third of the fourth generation that's alive today. And that's really a blessing. And so there's a gap, there's a gap somewhere, you know, with my father, you know, he introduced the land to me, but there was 30 years that have gone by. And now, so there's a generational gap, but, you know, collaboration, uh, working together, uh, and just uh, unity. And uh, I'm a firm believer into that. So uh, I'm just going to keep preaching unity, unity, unity. And I look forward to meeting you all so soon. You know, that's going to be one of the things that, uh, as I see, you know, like I said, if we can come together, me come see your forms, what you're doing, what's working. And these are the types of things. Don't reinvent the wheel. You know what I mean? There's some things that are already Amen. set in place mm-hmm. that we can learn from. And I'll just end it right there. Right. Thank you for letting me talk about Right. Zion? Yeah. Do you want to add would... something? Yeah, thank you. Um, I, I would love to um, continue to hold the question of how can more land be brought back into the hands of yeah of of black people and brown people and indigenous people and all people but those people first like in a big way in these coming years i think there's a critical mass of people who are waking up to the history of these lands, the history of the stolen labor, the history of the, yeah, the colonization of this place. And I think that we're, we are at a potential 
watershed moment in the transformation of agricultural and land policy in this country. And it has the potential to restructure um, things in a significant way. Um, I think I think that, you know, just even the I've done in, in the basic research that I've done about the history of the colonization of the West, how recent it is and how so much of the land was allocated through the Homesteading Act of 1862 that gave up it gave four million homestead claims um, to mostly white folks, 95 percent, I think maybe 97 percent sometimes white folks. Um, 270 million acres of land were granted at no cost um, with the stroke of a federal pen. And, um, you know, the current agricultural climate that we're currently navigating and talking about, including our farm, is actually, was originally a part of an 800 parcel space that was then split up, that was awarded to a family during the Homesteading Act. And that family has split it up into like eight parcels. We're on currently on a three acre parcel on homesteading act land. Um, and we're a multiracial community of people who are, and also a cross class community. So there's people who are a part of what we're doing that um, have inherited lots of wealth from the past that they have realized have was generated through colonization and enslavement and um, exploitation of people and are now on their journey saying, Hey, What's my role in this? Like, how can I contribute to the, this obvious healing that's needed? <laughs> and how can we, yeah, how can we model? I think one of the main questions for me these days is, what are the ways that we can model the cooperative businesses that can succeed on, on land um, that can include training into these different cooperatives um, and employ people or, or create a mechanism for people to live there. And I think the land trust is a really beautiful, um, route. Um, I want to lift up Brandy, Brandy Mack in, in this, in this vision. She's been holding this vision now for a decade about, uh, people of color led land trust that is not excluding white people, but is led and centering the needs of black people in particular. <laughs> um, I think it's a very compelling um, and necessary project that has um, a lot of potential to, to, I think, hold some of this wealth building work that I hear people, um, you know, alluding to. So I'm just, I'm very excited and I, yeah, I feel, I feel very, very hopeful and optimistic that, um, that there's actually a growing like grassroots awareness of the need for this to happen that, um, yeah, it feels like it's unstoppable at this point. So I'm grateful to be on the ride with you all. Thank you. Zion. So while, no. Oh, go ahead, Patricia. So, um, just something very quick, um, in that same, in that same breath, Zion, what you're talking about, um, I appreciate that because this now is about a courageous conversation being led to make sure as what Mr. Scott said, we don't we don't lose any momentum and go back and lose something. So here is 
the thought process for me. If we we are all um, able to identify that we have pieces of this puzzle and the puzzle is to move forward. If we understand the end game and move backwards from that, that will help us collectively build a stronger foundation of trust and resiliency because I guarantee you working backwards, we won't make those same mistakes. And Zion, what what we talked about previously in our preparation for this, um, that bill, as Mr. Scott said, you are one of the younger folks who will bring us the information. And Chris, um, I'm excited about the bigger picture, but us having a larger piece of that pie to build our trust um, because we're the ones who know what needs to happen um, and moving forward and giving that information um, with trust in our hearts and in our mind to have the knowledge to make sure that land trust is where we're going because there's so much land out here. We've got to get our piece of that pie. So we're going to get it done. You know why? Because yeah. oh, yeah. it's 2021. Okay. We're going <laughs> right. to make it happen. We're going to make it happen. That's all right. I'm saying. Okay. Right. So I got to right. say, my dream is for all of us to get together on some land and grow cotton. And I'm not even playing. Right. I think um, because there's some healing that needs to go along, go way deep and long in the black herb movement as well, right? And I'll even go further and go among the black females who are leading that. We control all the growing in the Bay Area through nonprofits and all the work that we do. And that's a powerful position for us to be in. Um, so I believe if we grow some cotton together, because we're all at the end of the day farmers, that we'll learn about that crop, we'll deal with all of our trauma, right and have some results to show for it but um we're about to go to questions and answers but i wondered zion if you <laughs> we gave you an assignment of sorts or you accepted an assignment of sorts just to give us a little bit of detail about new legislation and bills online as we move to a new world but like real briefly if you would just sum it up for us all great Great. So I'm, I'm happy to read the two main points that the Justice for Black Farmers Act is hoping to. Well, there's four main points, but for for this for our sake today, I just wanted to bring two goals that this bill is hoping to um, make possible. Um, first is restoring the land base lost by black farmers. The act creates a new equitable land access service within USDA to acquire farmland and provide land grants of up to 160 acres to existing and aspiring black farmers. These land grants will allow hundreds of thousands of new black farmers to return to the land in the next decade. To help ensure this, their success, these new black farmers will be provided access to USDA operating loans 
and mortgages on favorable terms. That's point one. And point two, this is the the reason I bring this as point two is because um, it it feels potentially connected to the um, youth education work that many of us hold dear. Um, this one is called Creating a Farm Conservation Corps. The act creates a USDA program where young adults from socially, quote unquote, socially disadvantaged communities will be provided with the academic, vocational, and social skills necessary to pursue careers in farming and ranching. Participants in the program will be paid by USDA and will serve as on-farm apprentices at no cost to socially disadvantaged farmers and ranchers. Beginning farmers and ranchers and organic farmers and ranchers with annual gross income, with annual gross farm income of less than $250,000. Black participants who gain experience through this program will have high priority for land grants. That's so the, that just sort of underwrites how important it is for us to teach some young people to farm, yeah? Pretty much. Pretty much. Yes, see, and, that, and that's where the, uh, the African American farmers is, and also the people that we associated with, too, is it because sometimes we uh, miss out on opportunity because we are not prepared. Well, I think with legislation like this, you know, you know that's on the board, and also with the interest that a lot of people have, have shown towards us, especially helping the black farmers out, is that the black farmers, we have a task to do, especially those who are existing now. You know, we got to bring people in to, like, say, replace me. But also, too, we should have things in place so that uh, they are prepared. When people want to help you, you need to be in a position to be helped. So there's some things that we have to do in order to get that. Now, one, you made a point, too, is that, and I, and I must admit, too, is that, and, and this is probably throughout our history, is that our women, the black woman, has been out there. You know, you guys are really, uh, you was a glue that held us together as a family, you know, and I, I have to give it to you and I appreciate it and I thank you, you know, but, uh, also too is that, and, and also too, you have to be patient with us male because you're right is that the people that I interface with is that they are all females. They're mostly females out there who are doing things. The male is, but you know, the history of this country too is as pertaining to the black male. You know, there's things that are done to him to keep him back. So, you know, we but we as a as a as a group, we're coming together too. But we have to position ourselves too that we can be prepared to meet the the opportunities that come forward. Now, this bill they got too is that I mean, it's, it will certainly uh, lay the playing field and give us a lot of opportunity to do what we do best. So I'm looking forward to doing that. But also too that. I'm looking forward to working with the different groups so that we can come together and, 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 and put a format together so that, you know, the young people can follow it and they can do it. So, and I thank you, but if I, before I, I get off of here, uh, I'd like to say this. Without slaves, there'd be no slavery. Without slavery, there'd be no cotton, wonder. And without cotton, there'd be no industrial revolution in this United States. And without the industrial revelation, the United States would be just another European colony, you know. But here we are. We are the most advanced nation on the earth. And that's due primarily to the, to the kickstart that, uh, that our, our people gave this country. So, you know, we're in a position now is that uh, to realize, too, is that it, what we've done was not in vain. 
whereas now we can kind of bring this to a closure. Because if you look at a modern civilization, it only lasts five to 600 years. We've been here for, uh, you know, uh, almost 400 years. So we have to do something. We better do something. And like it says that young people like uh, Zion, who is not of my persuasion, but also I've met a lot of people like him, young people coming up. They have this spirit and also the heart to, you know, to work with equity, you know, to make sure that there's justice into it. So, like I said, th those groups and what we you know, what what we you know, what but <laughs> like you take me as that. I'm, I'm, I'm. My father was the first wheel. I'm the second. My son is the third. His son is the fourth. And now his son has got a got a son, so he's the fifth. So there's a there's a fourth generation. I have four generations here with me now. So out of that, I'm hoping that I have someone to replace me. And that was Will Scott, Jr. You've been listening to the Small Farm Conference put on by CAF. Um, this has been the session called Trailblazers. And if you'd like to hear more from this session or from any of the other sessions, they're all available on YouTube under California Small Farm Conference 2021. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in to the Farm and Garden Show. This has been a production of KZYX Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ Willits and Ukiah 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM, Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. You can check out our website at kzyx.org to find more content like this, and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thanks for listening.